Good morning. My name is Liz, and I am the young adult and children's pastor here at Bridgewater Church. And we just wanted to say a huge thank you for being here as part of our online campus this morning. We just continue to be awed by the ways that God is moving and connecting us in ways that we never expected to teach us more about each other and about what he is doing in the world around us. Before we dive in together this morning, we want you to know that the comments and the chats on all of our platforms are open. If you're joining us during our live stream at 10.30 a.m., there's an online campus pastor available right now for any questions or prayer requests that you might have. If you are checking in a little bit later to one of these videos and you need anything or you want to connect with us, please feel free to shoot us a message and we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. We're so thankful that you have found your way to us, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube or on our website this morning. It is such a good time to be together and to be learning about the things that God is doing in our lives. You are joining us for week three of a series called Freedom. The word freedom can be used in a lot of different ways and from lots of different mindsets. In week one of our series, which fell on July 4th, Pastor Drew looked at the freedom that we experience here in our country and the repentance that we're called to as a nation. Last week, Pastor Dennis Kidd took us through 1 Samuel, and we talked some about David and Goliath, and he reminded us that we have freedom to serve a great God who calls consecrated and committed and courageous people to be his servants. This morning, I want to start out by thinking about the ways that we use the word freedom in our own lives. What phrases come to mind for you? Maybe they're similar to the things that I think of. I think of things like freedom to, freedom to be myself, freedom to choose, freedom to vote. Or maybe you think of specific rights, like the freedom of religion or the freedom of speech. Maybe you're thinking of financial freedom or the freedom that you would like to be experiencing from a habit you've been battling or maybe a situation that you're feeling stuck in. While all of these forms of freedom are valuable and important and worth fighting for, how many of you know that sometimes we can have all of the freedom that we thought that we wanted or that we thought that we needed and still find ourselves trapped in a new way? Do any of you remember the couple of moments in the Disney version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame? I'm a children's pastor, remember. There is a character, he's, I think he's, he's a prisoner of some kind, and this character makes two very brief appearances that paint a picture of exactly what I'm talking about. Let's check it out. been there? I mean, hopefully not there like in the stocks or literally falling into a sewer, but trapped in some area of your life. I think that we can end up in a cycle of jumping from one thing to the next, jumping out of one toxic relationship and into another, 
jumping from one bad habit into the nearest temptation, or even away from something that was good for us and into something that is not so great for us. I think that we can spend a lot of time and energy and angst longing for false freedoms, for the freedom to or the freedom from. You can fill in the blank there with maybe what's applying to your own life. But then when we finally experience them, we find out that they don't bring the fulfillment or the liberation that we expected them to. When we fall into an understanding of freedom that follows with a to or a from, I think we're getting a skewed perspective of what freedom can actually look like. True freedom is not about extrinsic behaviors or opportunities, but about the freedom that comes when we realize that we can be free without any of those things. True freedom is not circumstantial. True freedom is found only when we recognize that we are the children of God, created by the divine and for a divine purpose. As it turns out, this predicament is not new to modern-day humans. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to a group of tax collectors and sinners, religious people, religious leaders, and Pharisees, telling several stories or parables about humanity's lurch toward false freedoms and God's heart for true freedom. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 3 through 7, he shared a story of a sheep that was lost and of the shepherd who left the 99 just to rescue the one. And in verses 8 to 10, Jesus talks about a woman searching for a missing silver coin and the community celebration that occurred after this coin was found. And finally, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, we arrive at the story that we're going to settle into this morning. This is the passage about the prodigal son. He's the younger son of a wealthy man who recklessly spends his entire inheritance in one fell swoop, and then he timidly returns to the father, who graciously and enthusiastically celebrates his return. There's an older brother, too, and this older brother's been loyal to the father and is pretty bitter about all of the celebration. Great. That's the story. Some of you may be pretty familiar with this passage, maybe relating to the younger son and his season of raucous living. Maybe some of you relate to the father longing for a wayward son or daughter to return home or to walk away from a lifestyle that isn't healthy for them. Or maybe you relate to the elder son, wondering why it seems like people around you are experiencing a freedom that you worked to deserve. Henry J. Nowen, who was a Dutch priest and an author, he was a professor at Yale of psychology and of theology, and he wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, and it's had a pretty profound impact on the way that I experienced this parable of Jesus. And in the book, Nowen focuses visually on Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal, and you can see it on the screen here. And he talks about each character, each face in the painting, and the way that he sees himself in each of them. I heard a story once um, about Henry Nouwen during a lecture given by a woman, a nun, who had worked very closely with him for years. And she said that they were at a conference in Ottawa, and they decided to spend a free afternoon visiting an art museum. And Henry had explained to her that there was a Van Gogh painting on the second floor that he really wanted to make sure that they saw. 
So they made their way to the second floor. They prioritized seeing this, and they found the painting. It was a lovely landscape of the south of France. It was only about, like, you know, like this big, not, not huge. And they sat down on a bench so that they could observe this painting. But the bench was a ways away from where the painting was. It left a lot of space for people to walk between and to look at the painting and to read the information about it. So picture this. They're sitting a ways away from it, this small painting on the wall over here. And they sit for five minutes. And they sit for 10 minutes. And they sit for 15 minutes. And she's starting to get a little bit antsy. And Henry is just completely engrossed and focused on this painting. They get to 20 minutes. And she turns to him and she asks, what are we still doing here? What are you seeing in this painting? And he looked at her, evidently shocked by her questioning, and said, well, are you in the painting? And she looked back at him a bit bewildered and he said, that's where I am. I'm walking in the fields in the south of France. In his book on the prodigal, he invites readers to do the same thing, to get into the image that Jesus has painted for us in Luke 15. We'll understand the picture better if we're willing to step into it. So as we work through this passage together this morning, even if you're already very familiar with it, I encourage you to lay down what you already know, maybe the character that you connect with already or understand the best. And ask God to show you the aspects of each character that can illuminate something in your own life. Each of these men, the rebellious younger son, the obedient elder brother, and the wealthy, gracious father, have an opportunity to live in true freedom. They also each have human tendencies and cultural expectations that point them towards false freedom. Let's get into this image together, starting in Luke 15, Verses 11 through 14. Let's read together. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything... A severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So a lot happens in just these first four verses. We meet everyone. We see the cultural tradition of inheritance being played out. We find out that the younger son is reckless, which, let's be real, I feel like younger siblings kind of tend to be that way. Anyone, anyone relate to that? And then we see his situation change very quickly from this YOLO, you only live once adventure, to one of regret. The younger son is living in a mindset of false freedom. He looks around at his life at his father's home and he decides that the only way that he can live his best life, to be happy and to do what he wants, is to get out and to experience the world. So instead of patiently waiting for the inheritance that is his, he basically goes to his father and says, I can't wait for you to die. So give me what's mine now so that I can go and live my own life. And while you and I may have never dishonored our families in such a dramatic way, I'm willing to bet that impatience and that a desire to just kind of do what I want have existed for each of us. It doesn't take a giant YOLO mistake to acknowledge the shared false freedom here. 
We want the promise of the now instead of of later. Kids want to be teenagers with more independence. Teenagers want to be adults who don't have to answer to anyone. And adults want to be rich or retired or just not tired. And we do rash things to try to get there. We are leaving and returning constantly when we experience the famine. And this, this could be a tangible famine, like a famine of finances or of time or of energy. Or maybe it's a more spiritual famine. We risk something in an attempt to find our life, and instead we end up squandering it. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, we see that Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Through the story of the prodigal, just as in this statement to the disciples, Jesus is reminding us that true freedom is not found in the things of this world. The younger son discovers this very quickly when he goes from the safety and the comfort of his father's home and into the false freedom of risk and of rebellion. Let's look at what happens next in Luke 15. We're in verse 15 to the beginning of verse 20. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off, and he went to his father. In the son's desperation, this young man finds work feeding the pigs. This is what gets me about the part of the story that Jesus is telling. He even says that he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. Gladly. Friends, we were not meant to be eating with the pigs. We were not meant to roll around in the mud with the pigs. We are children of the Father. But like the younger son, we can easily be deceived into settling for much less, especially once we feel the shame of the mistakes that we've made. But here, in verse 17, is where the story shifts. It says, but when he came to himself, when he comes out of the fog of hunger, when he comes out of the desperation of this self-inflicted poverty, when he comes out of his own pride, he comes to himself and he remembers who his father is. He begins to recognize that he made some really stupid choices that he needs to ask for forgiveness and that he needs to get on home. And remember, he's off in a distant country. This isn't going to be a contemplative plane ride home. This is going to be a long walk of shame. And he's prepared to ask his own father to be a hired hand. And even as new revelation is beginning to come for him, the younger son is still living with a false idea of freedom. He started with the belief that freedom was doing what he wanted, and now he's moving to a freedom that still has him living as a hired hand in his father's house. When we are living in shame, we're not able to see the true picture of freedom that God has for us. We only see the pig pen. 
What's the pig pen that maybe you're finding yourself in this morning? Maybe you haven't squandered actual money. Maybe. Maybe you've squandered the gifts and the talents that God has given you. In his book, Nowen writes, I am constantly surprised at how I keep taking the gifts God has given me, my health, my intellectual and emotional gifts, and keep using them to impress people, receive affirmation or praise, and compete for rewards, instead of developing them for the glory of God. Nowen goes on to describe carrying his own gifts off to a distant country and giving them away to a world that does not understand their value. I promise you that you have been given incredible gifts by God. Gifts aren't limited to what you see on a church stage. Your listening skills, your engineering mind, your patience, your love for children, your obsession with your riding lawnmower, all of these things can be developed for the glory of God. And if we're not developing them for his glory, then we're squandering them on a world that doesn't know what they have. We've got to begin the return journey with our gifts in hand, knowing that true freedom is more than what we can imagine for ourselves. It's not based on past mistakes. It's not based on human limitations. And there's a father who's waiting with open arms. Let's pick back up in our passage in verse 20. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Oh, I just love this image, don't you? We know what the son has walked in. We know the squandering. We know the pig pen. We know the shame. We know the fear. We know the journey. And when the son is still a long way off, the father begins to run towards him. He doesn't stay inside and wait for the son to knock. He doesn't stand on the porch and assume that the son is going to come up to him with an I told you look on his face. In fact, the father even goes against cultural norms that would have said that a man of his status would have no reason to run for any reason. They have servants for that. And he runs to the son that has returned home to him. He doesn't ask where he's been or how much money is left. He doesn't ask what his next steps are. He hugs him, he kisses him, and he reminds him who he is as he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The father shows the son what true freedom looks like. The younger son falsely believed that freedom would be found in doing what he wanted. And the father showed him that true freedom is that he is loved and cherished even when he's made mistakes. And true freedom is a reason for celebration. They prepare this grand feast, a fatted calf and everything, and the entire household prepares to party. Well, almost the entire household. So we've placed ourselves in this picture now, and we're imagining where we fit and what we can learn from the story that Jesus is telling. Have you seen parts of yourself in the younger son? 
What about in the Father that we should aspire to be more like? Now we're going to look a little more deeply at the older son, the one who stayed, the one who has done it all right. He's been obedient. He's been loyal. But as we're going to see in the last chunk of this passage, this behavior, as positive as it is, is also not true freedom. We've had a lot of scripture today, but it's a great story, and Jesus tells it best. So let's finish it out with verse 25 to 32. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and he replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, and he refused to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. I imagine so many things into this part of the story. I don't know if this is how Jesus pictured it going down. But first of all, here's the older brother wandering in, which means that no one came to get him to begin with for this massive party. And he just hears the music and the dancing. So he yells over to the servant. And I imagine that the servant looks at the other servants like, oh, this is going to get real interesting. So the servant tells him what's up, and he throws a royal fit. And somehow the father finds out what's happening. I imagine that the same servant probably walks in and is like, hey, uh, master, I know there's a party and whatnot, but you know the older son, the one working in the field and not squandering his inheritance? He's pretty mad about all this, and I just thought maybe you would want to know. And the father just sighs and hangs his head for a moment and then goes out to plead with the older son who he loves. And the older son, he lays it out as to what he sees as being an injustice to himself. He is offended by the father's celebration of the younger son. This, friends, is not true freedom. Believing that love comes from what you do is not true freedom. Seeking only what is circumstantially fair is not true freedom. Living with a spirit of offense or a victim mentality is not true freedom. Was it fair? No. Was it love? Yes. And the love of the father for one son in no way negates the love of the father for the other. The father's love is abundant, not limited. So the father, he says all of that. His celebration of the younger son is a reflection of the same love that he has for the older son. He loves beyond what they deserve. He loves beyond what they are able to do for him. The older son falsely believed that freedom was found in what he deserved, in the things that he'd earned. The father modeled the true freedom that he's loved beyond what he does. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us in this story what the older son does next. We don't get a nice, neat ending of the story of the older son. So what do you think happens? As you've stepped into this picture, 
as you imagine yourself in the older son's sandals, what would you do? Would you take steps toward true freedom, trusting that the Father's love goes beyond what we deserve, or would you pout over what you think should be fair? I hope that I would choose true freedom, true freedom that is worth all of the feasting and all of the celebration, but this kind of love isn't common in the world that we see around us. Embracing true freedom means embracing the love of a father who loves without condition and shows us how to model that love to the world around us. So let's step back out of the picture now and remember who is telling us this story and who he's telling it to. Jesus told this story to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to the religious leaders, to the judgmental onlookers, and to the disciples. And he's telling this story again to you and to I this morning. That we would recognize that the only way to experience true freedom is through the love of the Father. And the way to experience the love of the Father is through the Son. We see it all throughout Scripture. John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 21 says the creation itself will be set free because of the freedom that we experience as children of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And in Acts 13, 39, we see, And by him, meaning Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Friends, we cannot be freed by old ways or new ways or our own ways or someone else's ways. We can only be free through the abundant love of the divine who loves us so much that they sent themselves in a form that we could understand, showing us what sacrifice and forgiveness and restoration, true freedom, really look like. If you find yourself listening to this and you're wondering if this kind of freedom is actually possible, you're not alone. If it seems impossible, it's because it is impossible on our own. But through Christ, we have unlimited access. All we have to do is believe and to trust in his abundant love. If you would like to experience true freedom for the first time, we're going to pray together in just a little while, and you are welcome to join us in that prayer. And we'd love to hear from you and walk alongside of you as we ask questions together and experience life transformation through Jesus together. You aren't in this alone. Even now, you can reach out to our online pastor or you can shoot us a message if you're listening to this a little bit later. We're here and we're with you. And if today you're celebrating because of the true freedom that you are living in through Jesus, we are celebrating with you. And the challenge to us is this. When Jesus left the earth, he left us with the power of the Holy Spirit to show the love of the Father, the love modeled to us in the story that he told us again today, to a broken world around us. Last Henry Nouwen quote of the day. He wrote this as he was imagining himself in this last role that we hear of in the parable, that of the Father. Henry Nouwen writes, I now see that the hands that forgive, console, heal, and offer a festive meal must become my own. We're called to continually look and act more and more like the Father. Who can you celebrate today? 
Who are you running to with open arms? Who are you sacrificing for? As we pray together now, this is the challenge that we can embrace, modeling lives of true freedom that invite others to experience it alongside of us and with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God who loves unconditionally and abundantly, thank you for the true freedom that is found in you. Today we come to you with all of our baggage, with all of our mistakes, with all of our squandered gifts and false freedoms that we've hopelessly grabbed at. God, we give all of these things to you and ask that you would replace them with true freedom. God, for those who may be asking you to transform their lives for the very first time today, we celebrate and we rejoice with them and with you. Give them joy and peace and boldness as they walk in this new freedom. And move in our hearts. Show us those around us that we can show your love to. We are humbled to show you to them. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Show us how to love like you. We are thankful in ways that our words could never express. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for being with us online today. We are so grateful for this community, and we want you to know that we love you, and we are praying for you. We'll see you again soon.